Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we uh, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy to us. We thank you, Lord, for drawing us and causing us to run after you, Lord. We ask, Lord, that um, the fullness of what you've given to us at the cross be ours, and that is Christ in us, the hope of glory. His love manifested in us, Lord. Lord, you've told us that God is love, and we are discovering, too, that what your scriptures say is that God's children are love, too. And so, Lord, we thank you for doing in us what we could possibly not possibly do in ourselves, Lord. We just thank you, God, for manifesting the love of God in us, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen. Well, we left off in uh, 1 John 4, speaking about God's children are love too. And uh, I'd like to just take up where we left off. It's really so good. And um, it's very neat to know that what the Father put in the Son, He wants to put in all of His sons, right? In 1 John 4 and 12, it says, No man hath beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abideth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Well, no, nobody gets to see God unless they see him in us. Notice, Uh, at least on this, in this life, right? So their opportunity to see God is is if we will let God live in us. And God is love, but so are his children. I think this is the most powerful part of evangelism, is if God's people truly love the people they're evangelizing. And um, verse 13 goes on to say, And hereby we know that we abide in him. And he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Now, what is the point here? Well, you know, first of all, the Bible says that God is love, and it also says that God is spirit. So, what must this spirit be? Well, it has to be the spirit of love. If God is love and God is spirit, then this has to be the spirit of love. In other words, there are many people that claim Christianity who believe that they are following the Spirit. Well, if they were, what would they be doing? Well, if you're following the Spirit, you would have to be obeying what we read, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, And that is what it is to love. Uh, A a really good description of love in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read that. Just go back just for a moment and read part of it. Uh, verse 4 says, Love suffereth long, 
and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. It doesn't brag, right? Is not puffed up. Uh, doth not behave itself unseemly or shamefully. Uh, seeketh not its own. Is not provoked. Taketh not account of evil. Rejoiceth not in unrighteousness, but rejoiceth with the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. That's a short description of love. And this is what the Spirit would be leading us to do, obviously. Um, if it is the Spirit of God. Many people, I say, they proclaim to be hearkening to, listening to, and following the voice of the Spirit. If it's love, it would be. And if it's not, it would not be. Right? And notice it said, Hereby we know that we abide in Him. What is it to abide in Him? Well, we're told in First John 2 and 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. So, to abide in Jesus is to walk as Jesus walked. And, of course, that spirit that dwelt in Jesus would truly be manifesting in us if we were doing so. And I want to say this, too, that many of God's people uh, refused to be filled with the Spirit. It was common uh, in biblical days for people to uh, repent, be baptized, and get filled with the Spirit. And, of course, they didn't have all this scary stuff that churches use to come against people who get filled with the Spirit, filled with the gifts of the Spirit. Um, but the people who get filled with the Spirit, they all experience some pretty common things. One of the things that they experience is more love than they had before. Another thing is uh, an ability to hear the voice of the Spirit like they never had before. Some people even called it like being born again again. You know, The Holy Spirit comes, Jesus said, to take of mine and declare it unto you. The Holy Spirit's job is to recreate in your life the life of Christ. And that life has to be love. Because notice it says, if you abide in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. That's what the spirit is meant to do. And that is manifest that love of Christ in us and cause us to walk in his steps. And of course, without the spirit, you can't walk in his steps anyway. You can't do the works of Jesus. You know, Jesus said, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. You can't do the works of Jesus without the power of his Spirit, right? And verse 14 says, And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God abideth in him. And, of course, the word here is confess. It's not profess, because there are many professors, very few confessors. The word confess means uh, homo legeo. It means to speak the same as. It is to say what the Bible says about Jesus and who he is. 
You can't have a false Jesus and have a confession of him, you see, because it's to speak the same as, right? There are many people who have a false Jesus. Many people have uh, a totally different description of Jesus than the one that's in the Bible. And um, that for that, we have to repent. Jesus, uh, The Apostle Paul said, another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel, right? So, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God abideth in him, and he in God. And verse 16, And we know and have believed the love which God hath in us. That's interesting. This is what we really need to do, because... Since we no longer live, Christ now lives in us. The Apostle Paul taught us the good confession was, right? It's no longer I that live, it's Christ that lives in me. Then what do we have? We have Christ's love in us. It is our confession, right? We have what he is. He now lives in us, right? And it says, we know and have believed the love of which God hath in us. Are you begging God to give you this love? I mean, what we just read in 1 Corinthians 13, can man fulfill that? Not without the grace of God. And where does grace come from? It comes from faith. And where does faith come from? It comes from God, right? By grace have you been saved through faith. That's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. We need the grace of God to walk in love. okay, And he says, they believed in this love. The, the word love here, by the way, is, is the word agape. right? You know, agape is a love that includes obedience. It's a, it's a love concerning actions, not just emotions. There's another word, uh, phileo, which, which is an emotional love, but this one is an action love. In fact, it, we can't find any place in the scriptures where it actually uh, speaks of emotions, but it speaks of obedience. We just read 1 Corinthians 13. Did you notice? All of that was obedience. It was action. Everything that described love in that text, and that word love there, was the word agape. Everything that described love there were acts, not emotions, not feelings. They were acts. And, of course, acts of obedience to the Word of God. You know, we know. And uh, it says here, I'm going to read verse 16 again. And we know and have believed the love which God hath in us. God is love. Again, agape. And he that abideth in love, again, this is agape, abideth in God. A person who abides in love in the way that we are to abide in Christ, which is to walk in his steps. You know, again, walking is an action. And agape is an action. Many people um, feel kind of grieved in that they don't feel that they have the feeling of love towards God that they feel the Scripture says they ought to have. Well, you know that the Scripture doesn't demand the emotion of love for God. And we'll look at that in a few minutes. But what it doesn't demand is 
the agape love, the action of love towards God and towards our fellow man. That's what it demands. Okay, And so he says, God is love, and he that abideth in love abideth in God, and God abideth in him. Praise the Lord. God abideth in him. So if we abide in God, we abide in love. And if we abide in love, God abides in us. This sounds pretty important, doesn't it? More important than most other doctrines that people study. You know, many people are caught up in end times and, you know, they love to find out what's going to happen. That's a natural curiosity that men have, you know, to find out what's coming. And it's good to know what's coming. It exhorts you to love, for one thing. It exhorts you to be ready for those days that are coming, right? And uh, certainly, as we read on down, you will see that without love, you're not really ready for these days to come, right? So the most important thing is to study this, the nature of God. God is love, and so are all of his children. If you're born of God, each seed brings forth after its own kind. If you're born of God, you're love too, right? So, um, verse 17, it says, Herein is love made perfect with us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, even so are we in this world. As he is. He is love. Even so are we in this world. Notice he's talking about love here. And he says, if you have this love, that you will have boldness in the day of judgment. Wow. wow, you know, the Bible says a little earlier in 1 John chapter 3, it says, um, If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. If our heart condemn us not, we have boldness towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do the things which are pleasing in His sight. It's important that our heart condemn us not. You need faith towards God. You need power with God in the days to come. If you have love, basically he's saying you won't have a problem with condemnation, taking away your faith, um, being double-minded. If you have love, you will be bold towards God, and you'll be able to stand in the day of judgment. That's awesome, right? You know, the Bible speaks about the judgment in Matthew chapter 25. And uh, let, me point, let me read a little bit to you here. It says in, from verse 33 on down, listen to what he said. Jesus said, And he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them, on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. And I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Well, 
obviously, the sheep are going to be those that have a love for the brethren. They're going to take care of their brothers and sisters in the Lord. They're going to meet their needs. And I'm telling you, in the days to come, in this wilderness that we're going into, it's going to be very important that God's people reach out and take care of their brothers and sisters around them because uh, there's no other way that you will have boldness in the day of judgment. Because he's telling you right here that this is the judgment and this is the criterion that he's going to be using to judge his people. And verse 37 says, Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry? As he is, even so are we in this world. Jesus said, He that receiveth you receiveth me. You see, God lives in his people through love, for one thing. God is love, but so are his children. And those that are born of him have love in them, right? And so he says, They said to him, Lord, when saw we thee hungry, and fed thee, or a thirst, and gave thee drink? And when saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? And when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it unto one of these my brethren, even these least, you did it unto me. There it is. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you did not give me to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. And I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer and say, Lord, when saw we thee hungry, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as you did it not unto one of these least, least, you did it not unto me. And these shall go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. And by the way, eternal punishment lasts just as long as eternal life does. If you think there's an end to eternal punishment, there's an end to eternal life too. They're in the same verse here. So that doctrine makes no sense. But the truth is, however you treat the brethren, you're treating Jesus. And uh, there's a great persecution coming from the harlot against the true saints of God, just exactly like it was in Jesus' day. And there's going to be a great falling away, too. This persecution is going to cause some people to say it's not worth it. They're going to give up. They're going to go back into the world. They're going to side with the left, so to speak, you know. So notice the criterion for the judgment is how you've treated God's people, you know. And, of course, there are other things that have to do with treating the world, but in that particular case, that's what he's speaking about. And the rest of our text here in 1 John 4 speaks about this, too. Verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath punishment. 
And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. You know, there's nothing but boldness in the person that loves. There's no condemnation in their mind, you know, in their heart. There's nothing but boldness. There's no fear because there's boldness. And um, the person who fears, they fear because they don't have love. That's why they fear. They feel the condemnation of the Lord because they do not have love. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, now we're getting back to what we just read there in Matthew 25. If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. And um, the word hate here, if you look it up in a Vines Expository Dictionary, it's a, a malicious, unjustifiable feeling towards someone else. And actually we read a little earlier in our study in 1 John 3 and 15, it says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Because obviously God's not judging outward actions any more than he's judging the inward heart, right? Jesus made that really plain in Matthew chapter 5. It's man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. He wants to do away with the old man of the heart, right? The unregenerate, wicked man uh, of the heart. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and we know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So if you have malicious, unjustifiable feelings towards anyone, then you're counted by God as a murderer. Now, this is the very opposite of what love is. If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, cannot love God whom he hath not seen. So a test for whether we love God or not is all around us. It's our brethren. It's how do we treat our brethren. This is a test whether we love the Lord or not. What do you do to your brother? You are doing it to Jesus. That's what he says. Even the least. You know, think about that. It's not the brother that acts like Jesus, uh, that overcomes like Jesus. It's the least. Whatsoever you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. That's what God says. Think about any Christian that you think might be the least of the Christians you know. And just remember that however you treat that person, that's how you're treating Jesus Christ. And that's the criterion Matthew 25 is talking about, you know, for for the day of judgment. You've done it unto me, he said. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loves his brother also. And this is the word, this is agape also. Agape, again, is love in action. It's not um, feelings. Yeah, emotions, it's uh, love and action. And um, if we love God, we love our brothers also. Chapter 5, it says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is begotten of God, and whosoever loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. So it's like 
in a family, you know, you love your brothers and sisters because you're born of the same parents, right? And it's true here, too. We, we're born into the kingdom. We have many faults. We don't walk so good. We don't talk so good when we're born into the kingdom, just like when we're born into a family, a natural family. And we make lots of mistakes. Actually, when you're born into the kingdom, you, you receive a new spirit from God. But your soul is in a lot of trouble. <laughs> it needs to be sanctified, right? It needs to be separated from that which is worldly and um, delivered over unto God, right? And uh, verse 2 says, Hereby we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep or do His commandments. Think about that. Do you know that you love God's children and that you love Him? And this is proven by whether you keep His commandments or not, whether you do His commandments or not. The people who have love are the people who will be obedient and, and and don't forget this, faith is the victory that overcomes the world, right? How do you get from here to there? I'm, I'm sure I probably bothered a lot of people by saying what I said a minute ago. But the truth is, how do you get love? You have to accept it by faith. You accept that Jesus gave you his life. He made reconciliation, which means an exchange. It's no longer I that live, it's Christ that lives in me. And that's where love comes from. It comes from God by grace, through your faith. So don't spend a lot of time worrying that you don't love enough, or fearing that you don't love enough, or being condemned that you don't love enough. Expend that energy instead towards God in faith, because that's where love comes from. It's His nature. You know, being begotten of God causes us to have agape love. Well, the begetting that we get from God, or born, it's the same word, that we get from God, is not a one-time thing like being born into the world. We're constantly being born from above, the Bible says. And um, we're born spirit, and then as we're obedient to that spirit, our soul is being begotten unto God. And then ultimately, if we have borne fruit in our soul, we will have a, receive a born-again body. So it's a process. And uh, the first part of the process is to receive a new spirit so you can have connection with God. You can have communication with God. You can have fellowship with God. So a proof of our love of God's children and our love for God is to keep His commandments. Some people don't think that's necessary. They think that that's what grace is all about. We've got grace so I don't have to obey and I can still go to heaven. That's their thinking. But grace is what gives us the power to obey. It's quite the opposite of what they say. Uh, what they want is um, a religion that permits them to live any way they want to live and still go to heaven. But without holiness, no man shall see the Lord, the Bible says. So, holiness means separation from the world. And uh, verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. And, of course, this is the word agape. 
It is, um, notice, agape. Agape is, agape love is to keep his commandments. It is action. It is obedience, you say. Now, when we first come into the kingdom, we accept by faith that Jesus took away our sins and he gave us his life. And that faith is accounted as righteousness, the Bible says. Accounted as righteousness or reckoned as righteousness. Okay. Until what? Until the manifestation of that love or that nature of God in us. Right? And so, this is great. This is great because when you're a baby Christian and you've come into the kingdom, like I said, you don't walk good, you don't talk good. You, you, you have, you, just like any baby that's born, you, you're, you're uh, a mess. <laughs> and, um, but, but faith is accounted as righteousness. But let me say this. While you're walking in that faith, you're receiving grace. And grace is the favor of God to walk in the steps of Jesus. Yes, it's, it gives you a blood covering for your failures and for your ignorance, but it also gives you the power to walk in the steps of Jesus. That's real important. Okay. And so, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. And whatsoever is begotten of God, or born of God, overcometh the world. And this is the victory that hath overcome the world, even our faith. Praise God. So remember that. Don't waste a lot of time in condemnation, or thinking about your failures, or looking back, you know. The Bible says, forgetting those things which are behind, Philippians chapter 3, we press forward to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Don't look back. There's no use in looking back. That's behind you. It's gone. It's passed away. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. This is what the gospel is all about. We accept the new creation man as our gift from God. And so, I want to go over to... um, John 21, and look a little closer at the different kinds of love. And you remember the story. Jesus had walked with his disciples for years, training them in the ways of the kingdom so that they would be the forefathers of his new kingdom. Uh, Like the twelve patriarchs, were the fathers of the Old Testament kingdom. Now, Lord Jesus has raised up some patriarchs to be the forefathers of his New Testament born-again Israel. Okay? And you would think that after all that training that they would be ready to go to work. You know? But the truth is, they really didn't know what to do when Jesus was crucified, they were in mass confusion like they didn't expect it to come, even though he said it very plainly. Um, they were in mass confusion. Matter of fact, the first thing they thought about in, in 21 and 2 is uh, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and the two other of his disciples. And Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. <laughs> you 
Well, they didn't know what to do, man. Their their mule ticket had just left, you know. The guy that had been doing all the preaching and the, the money was was given into their hands to provide for them and so on and so forth. And and yet, but yet, Jesus sent them out. He trained them. But you know how many? How often did the disciples forget awesome miracles? And they wondered, well, what are we going to do? We forgot to bring bread. Well, don't you remember? Jesus multiplies bread. You know, they forget so quickly, you know. Well, the first thing Simon Peter thought was, I go fishing. I'm going back to fishing. And they say unto him, we also come with thee. So here's these the most valuable men on the face of the earth going fishing. And you know, the Lord had to come and, and straighten them out on this, you know. He said, they went forth and entered into the boat, and and uh, that night they took nothing. Wouldn't you know it, you know, because they were really out of the will of God. You know, you know. Uh, but when day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus therefore saith unto them, Children, have you ought to eat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Well, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you shall find and they cast therefore now, and they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. And the disciples therefore, whom Jesus loved, said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, <laughs> I guess they got that revelation pretty quick, right? So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his coat about him, and um, for he was naked, and he cast himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from the land, uh, but about 200 cubits off, dragging the net full of fishes. So when they got out upon the land, they uh, see a fire of, of coals there, and a fish laid thereon, and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which you have now taken. And Simon Peter therefore went up and uh, drew the net to land full of great fishes, 153. Uh, and I, I believe this represents all nations of peoples, 153. And uh, for all there were so many, the net was not rent. And Jesus saith unto them, Come and break your fast. And none of the disciples durst inquire of him, Who art thou? Knowing it was the Lord. And Jesus cometh and taketh the bread and giveth them and, and the fish likewise. Uh, this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Now he starts to do some straightening out here. Listen to what he says. So when they had broken their fast, Jesus says unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, lovest thou me more than these? <laughs> And the word here, lovest, is agape, right? In other words, do you love me enough to obey me? You know, do you love me more than these, these fish he's talking about? Right? Simon was going back to his old ways. He didn't know what to do. He really didn't have the confidence to go out without the Lord. And um, But he'd been trained to do this. And uh, basically Jesus was saying, hey, do you love me enough to... To obey what I have taught you? That's what agape means. Agape 
is a love that's always expressed in the scriptures as action. It's never expressed in the scriptures as emotion. That's what phileo represents, is an emotional love. Uh, uh, tender affection, friend, friendly affection, you know, for people. But agape is expressed in, in action, in obedience, right? As we saw, as we just saw in 1 John 4. And, um, and John 14 and 15 speaks pretty much the same thing. I'll read that to you. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments, he says. And, of course, all through the Scriptures, it's teaching this. So he says to Simon Peter, Do you love me enough to keep my commandments, to do what I trained you to do, so on and so forth? Do you love me more than these? Meaning, meaning of course, the fish. And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. But the word love here is the word phileo. He did not answer his question. Wonder why Peter didn't answer the Lord's question. He didn't really know he could live up to that love that demands obedience. He didn't know he could live up to that. You know why? He had just denied the Lord three times. He had lost all of his self-confidence. And he wasn't answering the Lord's question here. He said, Yeah, Lord, you know that I phileo you. In other words, I have an affection for you. I have great feelings for you. feel great friendship for you. But I'm not sure that I agape you. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Jesus ignored his not answering his question. He says, Well, okay. If you uh, phileo me, then feed my lambs. He saith unto him again a second time, Simon, son of John, Agapeest thou me? Lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo thee. Again, he wasn't answering his question, but he was trying to be honest. He really didn't know that he was able to live up to agape love. And he had just failed miserably, so he knew he hadn't lived up to agape love. He denied the Lord. He saith unto him, Tend my sheep. Again, Jesus ignored his obstinance. In verse 17, he saith unto him, The third time, Simon, son of John. Ah, now Jesus changes his question. This time he says, Phileo thou me? It was like he was saying, Well, okay, I can't get you to answer if you agape. Do you at least phileo me? Do you at least have an affection for me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Phileo thou me, or lovest thou me. He was grieved that the Lord had lowered the bar. (laughs) You know, the Lord was saying, do you really even have an affection for me? And of course, 
Peter was grieved. And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I phileo thee. He, he, he knew he could at least live up to this kind of love. Phileo love, right? And uh, But the Lord was even questioning that. Obviously, you know, if you had a great affection for the Lord, the things that he desires would be the most important things to you, right? Well, but Peter went fishing. Like I said, here's the guys that are the most valuable people on the face of the earth. The whole foundation of the kingdom as you pass up Jesus. Jesus was laying the foundation. He was like Jacob who uh, gave the the forefathers, the twelve patriarchs. And here they are, and they're going fishing. All mankind is waiting for the word that comes through them, and they're going fishing. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with fishing. There's a lot of people that that this manifests their love towards their family. They go out, they work, they serve, they get the fish, they bring it home, they feed their house and family. He that provides not for his own is worth than an infidel, the Bible says. There's nothing wrong with fishing until you've been trained and sent forth to do something else. Then it's not agape anymore. See? So, we're not putting down on fishermen. We're not putting down on people that do their labor day by day to serve their family, to serve the people around them, to meet the needs of the brethren. There's nothing wrong with any of that. That is love unless you've been sent to do something else. And, uh, of course, you, you don't want to go when you're not sent, right? The Lord does prepare people and he does send people. And, um, and Peter had been prepared. Even in his failure, by the way, he had been prepared because he was self-confident. He needed failure worse than anything. And when he failed, he lost that self-confidence, which is, is nothing but detrimental to the kingdom of God. He lost it. And that was good. And Jesus said, this time, feed my sheep. Then he gives him some really good advice. He says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself. What did he mean, girdest thyself? Well, you know, the Bible tells us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning put on his actions, put on his works, put on his nature, right? The bride in Revelation 19 uh, put on this glorious robe, which was called the righteous acts of the saints. Actions. We put on actions, okay? And so what is he saying that, when Peter was young, he girded himself. Well, he girded himself with his own righteousness. He girded himself with his his own strength, um, his own works, his own wisdom. He girded himself. He said, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest with a thou wouldest. And that's true. You know, when we're young, we're self-willed. We do what we want to do, right? But... When thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. And, of course, we know that this, he goes on to say that this he spake, signifying what manner of death he should glorify God. Do we all have a manner of death that we glorify God in? Yes, of course we do. 
And we've come here to die. We've come here to lose our life. And we're discovering now that the life that we lose is, is in order to have the life of love. And this is something that, that you don't gird yourself with. It's something that the Lord has girded you with. Notice, this manner of death would glorify God. Because the old Peter would pass away, right? Well, in a way, we're all that way. We've all gone our own way and done our own thing, and uh, we've girded ourselves, and now we're going to glorify God. And it's going to be through death. And that death is going to bring forth in us this agape love of God. Now, some people think, for instance, that... um, uh, phileo love is is uh, a man's love, only a man's love, and that agape love is is God's love, and that's not really true. That's that's false. The the difference between these two loves has to do with emotions and uh, actions, and um, that can be proven from the scriptures. I'm going to share that with you too. But let me say something about this this emotional. Love, this phileo love. In, in a human, phileo love is unstable. It's uh, finicky. It's um, connected with things that happen to us. You ever hear somebody, uh, a wife say, well, I just don't love him anymore? You know, what kind of love is that? It's, it's the emotional love. It has nothing to do with agape love. Agape love is action. You do what you're supposed to do, whether you feel it or not. You see, but uh, phileo love is that feeling that can be manipulated because of circumstances, because of the way a person talks to you, because of the way they treat you. Um, you know, you, you have friends and you lose friends. And that generally means that you've lost your phileo for them. You know, uh, a wife no longer loves her husband because he doesn't treat her right. And so she, you know, loses that emotional feeling of love. Why? Because of the circumstances, because of the way she's treated. You know, this is not God's kind of love at all, you know. But it's in humans, it's finicky. It's, um, again, manipulated by circumstances, things around you, all that. Okay. But. As we can see uh, from 1 Corinthians 13 and other places, agape love is a, is a love that obeys the Scriptures. It doesn't even seem to be any connection with emotion. Emotions, for instance, in humans is, is nothing that we should be following. You know, I mean, we, uh, we should be following love and not emotions, right? Emotions can be manipulated by the devil. They can be manipulated by circumstances. They go up and down according to circumstances. Very unstable. God has phileo love, and it's not unstable. He has emotions, and they're not unstable. But in us, they're unstable because we've been led by them instead of led by the Lord and led by agape. We've been led by them, and they're unstable. We we should never trust them. For for a wife to say, well, I no longer love my husband, that's ridiculous. The kind of love that she is demanded by the Scriptures to have for her husband is not phileo, it is agape. And the kind of love that God demands from us is not phileo, it's agape. Let me ask you this. Do you think that 
according to what we've been taught um, quite often. Um, people think that um, um, phileo love is is human. Uh, it's it's uh, inferior. Um, it's bad. But this is really not the truth. It's really not what the Scripture teaches. You know, for instance, in uh, John 16 and and 27. Let me read this to you. It says, For the Father himself loveth you. And this word is phileo. For the Father himself loveth you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. The Father himself loveth you. And uh, 14 and 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. That's the word agape. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. So you can see that in 16 and 27, the Father himself has phileo love. So, Phileo love can't be inferior. It can't be negative. It can't be bad. As some people say, phileo love is human and agape love is God. No, that's not true. They're, they're talking about two different forms of love. Okay? And so, agape love is expressed always in action, as we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But, it can be bad, too. This is what people don't realize, is agape love expresses the action of love, but your actions can be because you love the wrong things. See? Um, an example, I think, would probably be John 3 and uh, 19. And this is the judgment, that the light is come into the world, and men loved the darkness. This this is the word agape. You know, people love darkness so much that all of their actions get involved in it. You know, when you really love something in the world, you it, it rules your life, man. You wake up, you think about it, you act on it, so on and so forth. Well well here is men agapeing the darkness, for goodness sakes. Rather than the light. So you see Phileo isn't negative, and agape isn't inherently positive. They talk about a a different kind of love. Each one of them talks about a different kind of love. This is important to understand. Um, In chapter 12 and verse 43, let me read that to you. And it says, For they loved... The glory that is of men more than the glory that is of God. And this is agape. Loving the glory of men, agape. So you see, agape doesn't mean God's love. Even though God has agape love, and he has phileo love, it doesn't mean God's love, as we've been taught. Because agape can be negative and positive, and phileo can be negative and and positive. It depends on what your emotions are determining. It depends on what your actions are determining, right? 
And so, um, you know, Jesus, Jesus expressed both kinds of love. Uh, chapter 20 and verse 2, it says, She runneth therefore and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, that's John, whom Jesus loved. Whom Jesus loved. Well, what? This is the word phileo here. You know, Jesus had an emotional love for John. And in 21 and 7, notice what it said. That disciple, speaking of John again, therefore whom Jesus loved. And this time it's agape. Seth unto Peter. It is the Lord. So it's agape here. See, So Jesus had both of these kinds of love. Okay, In chapter 5, in verse 20, we read, For the Father loveth the Son. This is phileo. The Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And uh, 3 and 35, The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. This is agape. So the Father loves Jesus with both phileo and agape love. And we read 16 and 27 where the Father loved the Son with um, phileo love. And um, we have also uh, 14 and 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Agape love. So we can love God with agape love. We can love God with phileo love. Now, what does God demand? This is probably what we're going to have to get into next time. But notice that these two loves, they both can be positive. They're both needed in Christians. And they can both be negative, too, depending upon what your emotions are determining and depending upon what your works are, right? So these two kinds of love are important in, in every Christian, really. But God demands agape love of us for for him and for the brethren we've been talking about love you know and what it is and what it isn't and um, the differences and we discovered that the two main loves mentioned in the scriptures agape and phileo are um, quite different we discovered the traditional teaching is not quite right concerning agape being a god love and phileo being a man's love because we noticed that agape was even used negatively, because there are people who love the wrong things, you know. And phileo was used positively, like God uh, has phileo love. So we noticed those things. I'm not going to go back over that, but I just wanted to point out to you that what we discover from the Scriptures is that agape is a kind of love that is based in obedience to God's Word. And uh, phileo is based in um, emotions. And, um, you know, as long as emotions follow obedience to God's word, that's good. But if you follow your emotions, that's bad. So phileo is a very finicky, finicky and unstable 
love in humans who are not first submitted to the word. You know what that means? It means the kind of love you need to be your foundation is agape. And then you can follow that up with phileo, because God does both. But this way, the foundation of your emotions will always be on the bedrock of God's word, rather than you being up and down with the world of being moved by your emotions, you know, so on and so forth. And um, if you have agape love, you have a good foundation for the phileo love to be correct and perfect. And matter of fact, if you've got agape love, it will form your emotional foundation for you. It's good to have both of these, you know. And... Um, we discovered, for instance, that agape love is always founded in keeping God's commandments. John 14 and 15. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is the word agape. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And in First John, we see in um, chapter 2 and verse 5, Whoso keepeth his word in him verily hath the love, agape, of God been perfected. So, the kind of love that we need is the kind that would cause us to be obedient to God's word. Because we love him. And because we love our fellow man. Right? And uh, also, uh, chapter 5 and verse 3 says... For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And Second uh, John, uh, verse 6, And this is love, that we should walk after His commandments. This is the commandment, even as you heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Amen. So, so basically... Um, Agape is that kind of love that causes us to be obedient to the Word. Obeying the Word of God as His commands towards us, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 13, concerning the people around us. He explained to us what love was in dealing with the people around us. That was agape love. In, in obeying what the Word of God says concerning other people. You don't have love unless you're obeying His commandments. The agape love. And, of course, God is agape, but so are his children. So this is very important that we know. Do you know that the Word of God commands us to agape him? It commands us that. It doesn't, it, let me say this. The Word of God does not command us to phileo him. What he specifically commands is for us to agape him. Uh, and this agape is expressed in obedience to him. Uh, Matthew 22 and verse 37. And he said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. This is agape. And with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like unto it, is this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, again, this is agape, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these 
two commandments, the whole law hangeth, and the prophets. So, agape, agape love of God, is our commandment from the Lord. And to love our brother in the same way is our commandment from the Lord. Okay, I have never found a place in the scriptures where it commands us to phileo God. But I want to say this. I think we're going to find that people do phileo God when they agape God. It's natural for our emotions to be stirred up towards God when we're the kind of person who is obedient to his word. And uh, matter of fact, back where we were, I'm going to read this in, um, in Acts chapter 1. It says, The former treatise I made, O Theophilus, concerning all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Theophilus is, of course, God-lover or lover of God. And Theophilus here is the, the same, comes from the same word phileo. Phyllis. Phileo. Lover of God. Luke was addressing in Acts the lovers of God. And as you can see, it does say that we will have this kind of love for God, this phileo love for God. But it doesn't command it of us. It does command it of us to have agape love. Pretty interesting, I think. And uh, we're commanded, of course, to do the same thing as uh, love each other. You know, like in uh, chapter 13, 34 and 35, it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Wow, that's a pretty strong commandment. That's something that only God could bring to pass. Love each other as God has loved us. And this is the word agape, you know, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So, We're commanded to love God, and we're commanded to love the disciples. Did you notice that the fulfillment of the first and second commandment was a fulfillment of the whole law? Um, As a matter of fact, love is the fulfillment of the law. Romans 13 and 10 says, it is the fulfillment of the law. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5 about not one jot or one tittle would pass away from the law till all was fulfilled. See, some people don't know what fulfilled means. They think it means go back under the letter of the law. Keep the, the Sabbaths, the feasts. The, no, it doesn't. Fulfillment of the law is a fulfillment of a parable. You know, um, the things that happen unto them are for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. And therefore, types and shadows for us, you see. So there is a fulfillment of the law. And what he tells you that is, is love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. So, Jesus said, not one jot or one tittle will pass away till it's all fulfilled. And meaning that when we walk in love towards God and towards our brethren, that is the fulfillment of the law. The law, the love worketh no evil to the brethren, right? And um, uh, 1 John 4 and uh, 20, 
1 says, And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. So if we truly do love God, we are truly going to love our brother also. And that is the agape, the obedience kind of love. Uh, It's more important to be obedient than it is to feel good or to feel emotionally, you know, uh, attached to our brethren. It's more important. It's more important to God because he commands that. He doesn't command the other, right? And um, another thing that we know that we're taught, we're commanded also in the scriptures to agape our enemies. Interesting. In Matthew 5 and 44, let me read that to you. In fact, I'm going to... I'll probably read a little bit more than that, but I'll read 44 first. It says, But I say unto you, love your enemies. And that is the word agape. And pray for them that persecute you. In this text here, he's telling you how to love your enemies. From 38 on down to 48, you know, he tells us, he said, You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, Resist not him that is evil. You know, this is something we also saw in 1 Corinthians 13, the description of love. You know, uh, resist not him that is evil. This is our command to our enemies. Many people disagree with this and disobey it. But remember, um, when we obey the word, we then prove that we are the ones who love God. And if anybody loves God, he knows it, the Bible says. Right? So figure out a way to obey this. It doesn't matter that people try to worm out of it because of their um, carnal nature. He said, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, resist not him that is evil. And you're still hearing it today, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth from a lot of Christians. But the Lord says, resist not him that is evil. But whosoever smiteth thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. This is love of your enemies here. Turn to him the other also. Turn the other cheek. Some people say, well, if he turns the other cheek, I'm going to slap him on that one too, right? <laughs> no, we're, um, we've been called to bear our cross and to um, walk in obedience to God's word, which, of course, uh, crucifies the old flesh. The old flesh don't want to do this, doesn't want to obey. But this is what God commands. And verse 40 says, And if any man would go to law with thee and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. You say, well, that, he can't mean what he's saying there. I mean, your, your carnal nature is saying, uh-uh, something's wrong here. You know, that's, I, I've heard people say, well, that's for the millennium. You know, no, it's not for the millennium. It's for now. You know, that's what Jesus was teaching his disciples how to live, you know. Verse 41, And whosoever shall compel thee to go one mile, Go with him too. Give to him that asketh of thee. And from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. You have heard it was said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemies. But I say unto you, Agape your enemies. And and this is part of obedience. Now we have to obey these verses right here if we are going to love our enemies. And if we are going to love God, We have to keep his commandments. So we have to obey these verses in order to love God and keep his commandments. Okay? And pray for them that persecute you, that you may be sons 
Now, what are we here for? We're here to manifest our sonship. Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? That you may be sons of your Father. What makes you a son of the Father? To love your enemies, right? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he maketh his Son to shine on the evil and the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them that love you, what reward have you? It's very easy for us to, uh, or much easier for us to love those that love us. You know, but it's the people who don't love us. It's our enemies. It's the hardest people to love, right? What reward have you? Don't even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the Gentiles the same? You therefore shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Praise be to God, right? So this is, this is love. Romans um, chapter 12 is another really good instance of this. Let me turn there. And I'm going to start in verse 9. Now, I'm, I'm getting back to this agape leads to phileo love here. Watch carefully here. Romans 12, verse 9, it says, Let love, this is agape, be without hypocrisy. And you can tell it's agape because of the text, because it says, Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. In other words, do good works. Be obedient to the word. This is what agape always is in the scriptures. Okay, But then there's a slight change. He says, in love of the brethren. That's actually the word Philadelphia. Isn't that interesting? Philadelphia. Love of the brethren. This is what it's translated from the same word, Philadelphia. In love of the brethren, and, and Philadelphia, you know, is, a, is the phileo type love. And it says, in love of the brethren, be tenderly affectioned one to another. So he commands his people to have this tender affection or phileo love one to another. Okay. In honor, preferring one another. In diligence, not slothful. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Communicating to the necessities of the saints. Given to hospitality. Now, he's, he's describing someone who... Um, who has love without hypocrisy. They're cleaving to that which is good, and following that, they are. They also have the phileo love, and they're tenderly affectioned for their brethren, right? And he's explaining what this would be. What would you do if you had this? That's what he's explaining here, right? Uh, given to hospitality. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. This is hard unless you are trained by the Word of God to do this. It it becomes a hard thing, especially when nobody around you is doing it. You're being taught contrary to this. You're, you're being taught that it's not necessary. But this is the crucified life. And without the crucified... Jesus said, if you don't lose your life, you won't gain your life. We are here to lose our life. 
And obe- obedience to these commands, these kind of commands right here, like in, in Matthew 5, 2, these are the kind of commands that bring an end to the old life. Because your flesh abhors them so much that when you obey them, that is the crucified life. That is what puts to death your flesh. And this is love, to keep his commandments, right? Uh, bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one towards another. Set your mind on high things. Set not your mind on high things, but condescend to things that are lowly. Um, humility, you know, basically. Be not wise in your own conceits. Render to no man evil for evil. This is the temptation. You know, this is our command. If we're going to love the Lord, we have to keep this command. If we're going to love our brethren, we have to keep this command, right? Render to no man evil for evil. Take thought for things honorable in the sight of all men. Do things that are honorable. If it be possible, as much as in you lieth, be at peace with all men. And avenge not yourselves, beloved, but give place unto the wrath of God. Let God handle it. In other words, you don't avenge yourself, you don't pay back, you don't return evil for evil, you let God handle it. And He will. If you don't, if you don't do it, He will. He will chasten. And, uh, and by the way, if the person who's doing you evil is chastened by the Lord, believe me, they catch the point a lot better than when it's coming through you. Right? For it is written, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. But if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Some of the most disobeyed commandments of the Lord in the whole Bible are some of that I'm just I'm reading to you now. Right? Feed him. For... If he thirst, give him to drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. This he describes as the agape love that is, of course, followed up by the phileo love. And, um, oh, praise God. You know, this is, um, this is awesome. You know, that God can do this in us. Because he can, and he will. And uh, we're going to look at that, too. You know, um, God is agape, and everything that we do, we're supposed to do in Him. And um, we are to buy it. Uh, 1 Corinthians um, 16 and 14 speaks of this. Let me read that to you. 1 Corinthians 16. And it says, Let all that you do be done in love. In other words, everything that we do should be to keep his commandments and to abide in that love towards one another. And what is love? Well, love is the nature of Jesus Christ. It's the nature of God. God is love. If we look at Colossians chapter 3, we see in verse 17 it says, And whatever you do, notice the similarity of the words here, Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do everything in love, and we do everything in the name. The word name here, onoma, means nature, character, and authority. What is the nature and character of God? God is love. 
And now he tells us, whatever we do, do it in love. That's what he's telling us, right? You know, even a chastening is because of love, right? If you have, if you have a position of authority in the church and you're called upon to uh, bring correction, would you do that because you're angry or would you do that because the person needs correction? And you're doing it because you love them, you want them to repent, and so on and so forth. Some people think about the authority of correction that is administered by the Apostle Paul and turning people over to the devil in, in several instances. Would you say that God, he did that in anger or he did that in love? He did it because he loved them and he knew this was necessary, this chastening was necessary for them to repent and turn to God. If it's not in love, you're not doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it's not love, you're not doing it in agape. 1 Corinthians 16 and 14. Let all that you do be done in love, the Lord says. Oh, glory be to God. Now, how do we do this? Well, I think Ephesians is a really good example. How in the world are we going to be obedient? Ephesians, let me read this to you. Chapter 3, verse... uh, 14, it says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father. Well, I think this is a really good place to start. (laughs) You know, if we need love, we know where to get it, don't we? We get it from the one who loves, from the one whose nature is love, right? I bow my knees unto the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, that you may be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inward man. We need this, don't we? If God is Spirit and God is love, then the Spirit must be the Spirit of love. Right? So, He said that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory, that you may be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inward man. This is what we need. You find a lack of God's strength to manifest His love, to act in His love, to speak in His love. This is what we need. We can bow the knees to the Father. We can um, pray to Him that He would grant us a strengthening of power by His Spirit of love in our inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There it is right there. Who is Christ? Christ is also love, right? That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, to the end that you being rooted and grounded in love, agape, you be rooted and grounded in love, may be strong to apprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ. In other words, that His love would be manifested in you, right? Strengthened by His Spirit in the inner man because of prayer. That His uh, Spirit of love would be manifested in you. And everything that Christ is, the full scope of Christ, His breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ, This is what we're after, the love of Christ. Because the love of Christ is what? Obedience to all the commands of God. Obedience to the Scriptures, right? We do it because we love Him, and that's what love is. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. 
that you may be filled unto all the fullness of God. God is love, and it says here, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled unto all the fullness of God. If you have the love of Christ, you have the fullness of God. The fullness of God is what? Love. God is love, right? Uh, And verse 20, I think, is significant. This is not our work, it's God's work. We go to Him by faith so that He do this in us, right? Verse 20 says, Now unto Him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Well, you know, Paul bowed his knee unto the Father. He prayed to the Father to strengthen Him by His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ could dwell in His heart through that faith. And yet, he's telling us he can go far beyond what we can even ask or think or pray, I'm sure. It's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be the glory. So it's his power working in us to bring to pass the love of Christ, the fullness of God, who is love. Right? According to the power that worketh in us, unto him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus unto all generations forever and ever. Well, it it certainly does tell you that the glory has to come from God because he's the only one that can strengthen you by his spirit in the inner man so that Christ can dwell in your heart so that you may know his love. He's the only one that can do that. So we go to God by faith um, because it does say that. through faith, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. But he also said in verse 14, we pray. We pray in faith. God strengthens us by his spirit in the inner man so that that love of God can be manifested in us. You know, Jesus made very simple statements. You know, Mark 11:24, all things, you, things that you pray and ask for, believe that you received them and you shall have them. You're going to God, asking him for something by faith. And faith is believing you have received, and then God says you'll have it. It's yours. So very simply, what people worry and panic and wonder, what am I going to do? Well, you're going to believe God that he's going to give you the love of Christ. You're going to believe God. You go to him in prayer, and you believe him, and he will do it. It's, it's so simple. You know, we, we panic, and we think, what can we do? And I'm not living up to this, and why waste your time? Why waste your time? Just go right straight to God, the one who gets all the glory because he has all the power, according to this text, yeah, and he works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Right? He strengthens you by his spirit and inner man so Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Ooh, praise God. You know, it's a good deal. It's a good deal. We can't do it. He's basically telling us there that there's nothing we can do to bring this to pass. It's, it's his work. It's his work. It's his power. It's his work. He wants us to come to him by faith, and he will bring it to pass, right? Oh, thank you, Father. Well, this uh, phileo is is subject to external forces. It's subject to environment. It's subject to the way people talk to us, the way people treat us. You know, it goes up or down according to the way we're treated by others. Uh, because it's it's so subject to these external forces, but agape uh, is subject to the internal nature 
of God himself. It's subject to God in us. That's what agape is. And um, it's not emotionally driven, in other words. And so if you base everything on the word of God, which agape does, then you're very stable. Then your emotions can come into line behind that, and your emotions will be stable. In other words, you won't be moved since you're resisting not evil, since you're loving your enemy because you're agapeing them then your emotions are not going to carry you off this way and carry you off that way like they do in all lost people. You know, The renewed mind of Christ uh, stabilizes us and causes us to be able to agape. And since you're agape, which is founded on keeping the word of God, then you're able to phileo because your emotions aren't ruling you, you're ruling them. See, So as we saw in Romans, Phileo should naturally follow agape. And I believe if you have agape, you won't, you won't have any choice. You will have uh, phileo. Okay? Praise God. What about what we're taught so much about? Is, is God's love unconditional? Who is God's love given to? I mean, obviously, everybody out there doesn't have God's love, right? And, but we're taught, you know, that God's love is unconditional, which is a false doctrine. It's uh, just not in the scripture anywhere. And so I'm going to just share a few minutes with you on this. Uh, John 14 and 21. Jesus said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Now that's pretty simple. The people that keep his commandments, they have agape. Okay. And agape is God. Either you've got God or you don't have God. He that keepeth my commandments, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. That's conditional. Oh, you must be wrong, David. No, I'm going to show you a few more verses. Okay. No, I'm not wrong. The Word of God's not wrong, more, more so. Um, he shall be Loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. That's very important. To manifest, have the manifestation of Christ to us is very important. And he's, it's, it's conditional. He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him. And in fact, we'll read on. It says, Judas, not Iscariot, saith unto him, Lord, what is come to pass that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? This is true, folks. Uh, Jesus said, I haven't been sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He came to manifest himself. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And basically it's still that way because now we're New Testament spiritual Israel. He's still coming to his own, right? It's, it's a sad thing that his own are not receiving him. And sometimes he has to move on and People are um, grafted into the olive tree, broken off and grafted in. Okay, Verse 23, back to our, our original point here. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. There it is again. You think he really means that? Is there a conditional love of God? Yes, there is a conditional love of God. Well, what about... While we were yet sinners, 
Christ commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, God loves by faith. You know why? Because God sees the end from the beginning. He knows there are people that he knew from the foundation of the world. You know, when he says, I never knew you, he was talking about people who were disobedient. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Okay. So who is it that he knew from the foundation of the world? He speaks about knowing these people. Well, he knows them because he's the creator. And he is, crea- he is still in the creation process. He is creating sons of God. And he sees in the end who it is that's going to be there, abiding in Christ at the end, bearing fruit at the end, you see. So he loves by faith because he, he speaks the end from the beginning, the Bible says. But what about manifestation? Well, by manifestation, he's telling you the truth here. Who does he love? Well, verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. That's conditional. By manifestation, it is conditional. There is a conditional love of God. Listen to what he's saying. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. That's very plain. That's very plain. In fact, the next chapter, 15 and verse 10, notice what it says. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Wow. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Wow. That's interesting. There's a condition there, isn't it? And we're going to, we see this, actually, we see this consistently through the Bible. The unconditional love of God is something that is false, and we're going to see that it is false. 16 and 27 says, For the Father himself loveth you because you have loved me. Because you have loved me. And have believed that I came forth from the Father. Very interesting. Uh, How about uh, 13 and verse 1? Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own that were in the world. He loved them unto the end. Now, why would it say that? Having loved his own. Because that's who he loved. He loved his own who were in the world. He loved them unto the end. And um, 17 and uh, 26, it says, I made known unto them thy name, and will make it known, that the love wherewith thou lovest me may be in them, and I in them. Very interesting. Wow. Well, we see that God has conditional love. Proverbs chapter 8 is an interesting one. Let me read that to you. And verse uh, 17. He says, I love them that love me. Well, that's basically what we saw over there. Those that love God, God loves them. I love them that love me, and those that seek me diligently shall find me. Well, who is this speaking? This is wisdom speaking. 
wisdom is speaking. And who is wisdom? In, uh, three times in the New Testament we're told that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. And um, wisdom is saying, I love them that love me. Does that the unconditional love for the whole world? No, it doesn't appear to be, does it? Uh, another one, Psalm chapter 5 and verse 5. He says, The arrogant shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Have you ever heard the old saying, God hates the sin but loves the sinner? I submit to you that that's not true. Because the sinner is sin. His very nature is sin. Well, then who is it that God loves? Well, if this is a sinner that is uh, destined to be a saint, then God loves them not because he loves what they are, but because of what they will be. Because God loves by faith. And he sees the end from the beginning. But manifestly, he doesn't love that person. The person that loves him and keeps his commandments, he is the one he loves. You understand what I'm saying? He said, Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Wow, that's interesting. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. And um, uh, Proverbs chapter 6 and verse um, 16, it says, There are six things which the Lord hateth, yea, seven which are an abomination unto him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked purposes. He's almost got a whole man put together here, you know. Some people say, well, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. But notice, he's describing the sinner here, and he's saying God hates him. God hates that person. The heart that devises wicked purposes, feet that are swift in running to mischief, a false witness that uttereth lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. God says he hates this. He hates this person. Wow. We, we talk a lot about God's love. We don't want to talk about a lot about God's hate. But you remember in Romans 9... The Lord said, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Well, why did he say that? You know, and well, of course, you know, one of them was a bad guy and one of them was a good guy. No, actually, it has more to do with um, what he saw them to be from the beginning. Let me read that to you. Okay. Verse 10. And not only so, but Rebekah also having conceived by one even by our father Isaac. For the children being not yet born, neither having done anything good or bad, so they weren't born, they hadn't done anything good or bad, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. The word election is eclectos. It means the chosen. Somebody is chosen. Okay. Why were they chosen? Because at the very end, they are there. They've borne fruit of Jesus Christ. See, that's why they're chosen. You pick the fruit, right? So, God, of course, has foreknowledge. He sees this from the beginning, right? So, they haven't done anything good or bad yet. 
and they're still in the womb. And he says, God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. In other words, it's not according to their works that he says this. It's according to God's calling that he says this. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, even as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Jacob I loved, Esau I Now, they had neither one of them done anything yet. They were still in the womb, but it was according to election, or eclectos, or the chosen. See, this. the problem was that God saw Jacob at the end. He saw him as having borne fruit. He saw him as a child of God. And Esau sold his birthright, didn't he? You know, there are people who are born of Abraham, but they sell their birthright. They are children of Abraham, but they sell their birthright, like Esau did. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Is there still people like that? Of course. Of course. We just have to believe the Word of God. We saw Psalm 5 and 5, you know. Um, he hates all workers of iniquity. Would we believe that? Well, I hope so. Let me see. I'll go to uh, Psalm 11 and verse 5. It says, The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked, and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Notice it is the person themselves, not their sin. It says, The wicked, and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Wow. So God's love is not unconditional, and God still has hatred. Now, we can't have hatred. There's a reason we can't have hatred. Number one, we've been sinners. The Bible in Romans 2 tells, warns us not to judge others, because when we do, we judge ourselves. We've been sinners. We've been picked up by grace. Not because of our works, but because of grace. So therefore, we can't hate people. Because we can't unforgive people, and we can't judge people. God can judge, and God cannot forgive, but we can't do that, because we've been sinners. So we don't have any right to hate. Now, can God hate? We just saw that He can. And, of course, you can um, be ruled by your emotions instead of the Word of God, and you can say, no, that can't be. That's not the God I serve. (laughs) Well, it may not be the God you serve, but if it's not the God you serve, then you don't serve the God of the Bible. Because he hates. And he has a right to hate. He's perfectly holy. He's never sinned. He can judge. He can unforgive. No, you can't unforgive. If you have unforgiveness, then you're not forgiven. See? But he can do that. You can't kill, but he can kill. He tells you, thou shalt not kill. But he says, I kill and I make alive. I, the Lord. See? So he has a right to do these things. But you don't. And I don't. See, but so God can hate, and the old unconditional love of God—that is a bunch of um, yeah. It's a man's turning, making of no effect the word of God by his traditions, right? That's exactly what it is. As a matter of fact, God can love you no more. Hosea, turn to Hosea, chapter nine, and verse uh, fifteen. He says, all their wickedness is in Gilgal. 
For there I hated them. Because of the wickedness of their doings, I will drive them out of my house. See, some people don't think that's possible, but it is. I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. Wow. You mean he could have loved someone and didn't continue to love them? He said, because of their wickedness, I will drive them out of my house. They will no longer be members of the house of God. You know, we are the house of God, right? We who we in whom God lives are the house of God. You know, who lives in God's house? He does. Right? And how do we know that God lives in our house? Because we love. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. God is love. And he that's born of God also loves. We saw in First John. So, he says here, I hated them because of the wickedness of their doings. Well, what caused God to love in John 14? If you keep his commandments, my Father will love you. That's not unconditional love. There are a lot of rebellious Christians out there that are going to continue that way until they fall off into hell. I use the word Christian loosely obviously, but they're not bearing fruit, and they're thinking it's not even necessary. And God says they're not going to get away with it. He said, I will love them no more. Wow, that's pretty strong strong wording here. Well, well, David, what about John 3.16? You know, uh, well, let's go look at John 3.16. That's interesting. I mean, that's one of the most common objections to this, let's read it. I'm going to start in verse um, 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son be lifted up, that whosoever believeth may in him have eternal life. Notice the condition. There's a condition here. You say he loves everybody. Well, why don't he give everybody eternal life? It says that whosoever believeth may in him, in him, have eternal life. There's not eternal life outside of him. If you're a Christian and you're not abiding in Christ, that's not where eternal life is. You better get in the Son. The Bible says in 1 John 5 that eternal life is in his Son. Okay. So I, I pointed that out because of the next verse. For people say, well, well, wait a minute, God loved the world. Yeah, but notice the condition in verse 15. It's not the whole world, it's those who believe. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now he's telling you what part of the world. That whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now he's narrowed it down here, folks. What part of the world? Those that believe. For God sent not the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He that believeth on him is not judged. He that believeth not hath been judged already. They're judged right now. The people that don't believe in Jesus are judged right now. Does that mean God loves them? No, it means he's judging them right now. Okay. They are judged at this moment. And um, 
And this is the judgment that light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their works were evil. He said, I will love them no more. Another example, well, we saw 13 and 1, uh, John 13 and 1. I'll read that to you again, just real quickly. He said, Jesus, knowing that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own that were in the world. You know, every other place in the Bible, people say, well, God loved the world. No, he doesn't love the world. He loves those that believe in the world. Okay, Every other place in the Bible, his love is restricted to his own, to his own people. In every other case in the Bible. Uh, 15 and verse um, 10. I'll go back to verse 9. It says, Even as the Father hath loved me, I also have loved you. Abide ye in my love. I mean, stay in my love. Okay. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And um, also, let me see, 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, you're not of the world. He chose you out of the world, right? But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So the Lord chose us out of the world. Why? Because he loved us. Okay. And um, uh, Matthew 20. I'm going to read this to you. Verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. didn't say all. never does. It says many. The Bible is very specific. Who is the, the many? It is the elect. We just saw. Jacob I loved, and Esau I hated. The chosen. The chosen. Uh, there are many called, but few chosen. Out of the called, the called are all of the people of God. All the people that we call the people of God. The chosen are those that bear fruit. 30, 60, and 100 fold, which Jesus said they must do, right? And um, well, let me read uh, one more to you, maybe two. Matthew 1 and 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for it is he that shall save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. And, you know, he said it wasn't right to cast the children's bread to the dogs. You know, Jesus came to his people, although he came in a, in the midst of two covenants and was showing that the people who were now acceptable were the people that believed. Not the people that had passed on their heritage by flesh, but the people that believed. So we see there is more to this love thing than we know. We need to really search the scriptures to find out and just accept everything we see. God bless you and thank you for joining us. We'll do it again. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels. 
Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, Shining rays of red and white, Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, sacred heart, in you I find mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus.